If you believe there's blood and power in the blood, say amen. amen. You believe that that blood has been applied to your life, say amen. 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 Aren't we glad to know that uh, the Lord has not only shed His blood, but that He has freely applied it to all who will receive. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to uh, a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is uh, that great chapter where Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in that, he teaches us some wonderful truths here that we need to uh, uh, grasp this morning. Um, you know, over the last several weeks, we have seen our uh, world and our nation uh, in quite the turmoil. And I've had several folks over the last several weeks that have come to me and said, well, preacher, what are you going to say about it? Preacher, what are you going to do about it? Preacher, when are you going to preach about it? Well, I've been preaching about it for the last... 30 years, um, and I'm going to preach about it again this morning. Really what I want to talk to you about this morning is how to make a real difference. You know, in this world today, what the world is needing is the church to make a real difference again. There was a time in the book of Acts when we would go back there and read, we would find that the church made a real difference in the world. The disciples, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the disciples took the mantle uh, 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 that he had given unto them and he began, they began to carry it into the world, preaching the gospel, teaching the, the world what Jesus had taught them. And the Bible says that at that particular time, the church turned the world upside down. You know, over the years I've thought about that and I, I thought, well, maybe it should have been better said that the church turned the world upside right. It was always upside down. It was always backwards from what God had intended for it to do. For the very first time, the church had begun to turn the world upside right, looking at things through God's perspective instead of the world's perspective. And so we're at that place in time when I'm afraid that the church is not making the, the cultural influence that we need to do. So I really want to talk to you about that this morning, but how do we do that? I want you to hear what God has to say this morning from His Word as to the very simple process in which we as Christians need to take in order to do that. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 through 16. Uh, a familiar passage, as a matter of fact, it's been, a phrase of it has even been said this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You're the salt of the world. A city that is hid or set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, we ask that as you have spoken these words, these in my Bible are written in red, telling us that these are the words of the Lord. And so, Father, this is words right from you today. And, Lord, they are as applicable today as they were over 2,000 years ago when you spoke to the, to the children there on the side of the mountain. And so, Father, I pray that you would make these words come alive in our life, that you would transform our living and our loving, that you would transform our lives to be that which you have called us to be. So, Lord, show us from the simplicity of your word how that we can be 
what we need to be so that we can make a real difference. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated this morning. Have you ever heard the question, how do you boil a frog? Well, I think that uh, that's an old saying, but here's what you have to do. You have to put a frog in a pan of, of, uh, of room temperature water and then very slowly turn the flame up. Now, if you were to take that same frog and throw him in a bucket of boiling water, immediately he would hop out. But if you want to boil him, you would put him in temperate water and then turn the heat up gradually until he boiled to death without even knowing that he was dying. I think that that analogy is very similar to the analogy of what our world is going through in the 21st century. The decline of our culture... Uh, has slowly been declining over years to the point that the church has sat on the sidelines and not even noticed or considered the damage and the danger that we are in. However, let me tell you that in the 21st century, the heat is no longer on low, but it is on high. And the cultural heat has been turned up. And uh, it is a very dangerous thing that we need to understand. We, as the church, have oftentimes underestimated what we are up against. In fact, the cultural historian David Wells sees this present time as being vastly different from any other time in our history. He says this, that because there is no place for truth... Because there is no place for the truth, we are in a most dangerous time. That statement alone should give us pause and, uh, because it suggests that the very fact that you and I are living right now is no accident. I can't help but think when I think about the times in which we're living in to go back to the Old Testament and think about an Old Testament character who found herself in a place and in a situation in trouble, and yet her own uncle said to her something profound to cause her to step outside of her comfort zone, but yet to make a great difference. Of course, I'm talking about Queen Esther. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 14... Uh, Mordecai says to her, as the Jews had come up against this great uh, um, um, offense and they were, they were about to be annihilated, and Mordecai basically says to her, if you keep quiet at this time, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows, perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. What is interesting to me about the book of Esther is that all the way through the book of Esther, there is not one mention of God, not one calling of His name, not one uh, word about that refers to Him in any way. But yet, as we read through the book of Esther from the first verse to the last verse, we can see the finger of God guiding this situation all the way through. Isn't it amazing? We're living in a culture today where God is being taken out of everything. He's not even being spoken of anymore. But let me remind you, though the culture around us may not be speaking the name of God, the, the finger of God is still on the pulse of this world. The finger of God is still moving and guiding and directing across our history. My friends, we need to understand that perhaps you and I are alive today 
for the very purpose of being a difference maker. You are living in a time when hatred threatens to tear apart our society. Despite all of our benefits, social media has made us cranky, inconsiderate, demanding, suspicious, and accusatory. If you want to get your blood pressure raised, if you're having issues with low blood pressure, uh, I've got a cure for you. Get out your phone and get on social media for five minutes and I guarantee your blood pressure will be back up to normal, if not on the high side. Okay? All right? So we live in a dangerous time with hot spots all over the globe. You cannot turn on the news without finding that there is a turmoil or a country that is against another country somewhere threatening to do great harm across it. I mean, you can't but, but turn on the news and hear about uh, North Korea, Hong Kong, Iran, uh, Africa, India. Almost everybody seems to be hating somebody today. If there was ever a time for the church, the church of God, to stand up across the world and stand for Jesus and be counted, it is today. But if anything, our influence seems to be waning. A poll taken here in America a short time ago shows that church membership in the U.S. has dropped sharply in the last two decades from 70% in 1998 to an all-time low of 50% in 2018. Among millennials, those that are born before 1979, church membership has dropped a total of 42%. If you ask about the actual church attendance, 22% of America says that they attend, only 22% of America say they attend church every week. It is increasingly a secular world, and we should not be surprised that the church has lost its influence in our community. There are many reasons why this is so, but one reason stands out above the rest. The church has lost its influence because Christians have neglected their, their, their God-given responsibility to be the salt and light of the world. We're no longer being the salt and light that God has called us to do. As we neglect what we have been called to do, the world has decided to ignore us. And the flip side of this is also true. When Christians decide to be the salt and light of the world, the world pays closer attention to what we have to say and what we do. Let me simply put it this way. When we are the salt and light, the world listens to us. When we aren't, they don't. So what does it say to us today as the church? We need to be the salt and light in our day. So the question, the first question I have for us this morning is how then do we become the salt and the light in a constantly changing culture? Have you ever thought about that? How in the world can I be the salt and the light when, when, I, when I strive to do this, then this happens? And I, I seem to make one stride forward and then two strides back. Historically, Christians have responded to the culture in four basic ways. There are those who say we should flee from the culture, a retreat mentality. The idea is that there is nothing that we can do, so we might as well just close our eyes and maybe it will all go away. There was a story about a monk living in the dark ages. When he woke up one night hungry... 
he realized that all he had near his bed was an apple. So he lit a match and, and lit a candle, and upon inspection found out that the apple was full of worms. So, as he thought about it for a second, he decided to promptly blow out the candle and enjoy his midnight snack. That's what retreat mentality really is. It doesn't go away just because we're living in the dark. It's still there. And then there are those who say, we need to fight against the culture. There were resistance. Uh, we've got to have a resistance. We've got to stand up and fight against the culture. We see this response in our attempt to change our culture by political and legal pr processes. Let me ask you a question. How's that working today? I don't see much help. I don't see much hope. The problem is that as we see the signs of decay that are happening in our nation, we realize that our nation's leaders can't even get together on anything. How are they going to make any changes when they can't even agree on anything? One, our, one thing that we need to understand is that our nation is truly divided. Abraham Lincoln was not the first to say a house divided against itself shall fall. Jesus reminds us of that all the way back in the Gospel of Matthew. The reality is that a resistance mentality only divides, it never fixes. So the third way that we have addressed our culture historically is this one. There are those who say that we should simply just fit in with our culture, assimilation. Now, this may be the most alarming response because the church is now proactively adopting many of the world's cultural ideas and values. Thinking it will help us to draw a crowd, it will help us to, to, to feel relevant, it will help us to relate, but the reality is this is not good. This mentality of if we can't beat them, join them, is not biblical at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible has something to say about that in James chapter 4 and verse 4. James says, Know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So my friends, the reality is that we need to be careful as a church that we are not assimilating the church into the world. We are supposed to be assimilating the world into the things of God. And yet we are, we are changing our, our approach to reach our culture. Now here's the fourth one. There's a response which I would say that is probably the most biblical of all that we should be looking at. And that is we focus on changing or really creating culture, transformation. You see, that's exactly what God does with us. You and I came to the Lord as a sinner and then he transformed us into a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There is a transformation that takes place in every life when we come to Christ if we truly have found salvation. So, when we think about transformation... Consider what God had said right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 29. 
And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he male and female, created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And having dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given unto you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which the fruit of the tree yieldeth seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now, what is the gist of what I wanted you to hear out of this? Here's what I wanted you to hear. God is in the business of creating. God has created everything. Something that God makes is the creation. However, something that man makes is the culture. God has made all of creation and he's given us dominion over and left us to the the role of creating culture. And as Christians, we should do well if we follow God's plan of building For this is the cultural mandate in which we live. Now, let me get to the heart of the service. That was basically the introduction. I wanted you to see how that we have responded in the past and how that we should respond. But here's what God is telling the church today. We go back to our text and I want you to see that God is giving us four things in which to see. How being the salt and the light can change the culture around us. We don't have to guess what we need to do. We don't have to wonder what we need to do. God spells it out in his word. In a simple way, he gives us everything that we need to do found right here in Matthew chapter 5. What true believers are supposed to do is what true believers have done throughout history. Simply be a real Christian that holds to the values of the kingdom of God. As John Stott wisely observed... The question is not what's wrong with the culture, which is what we normally focus on as people. What do we see wrong with the culture? But here as the church, we should not be focusing on what is wrong with the the culture, but what we should be asking is where is the salt? Where is the light that is supposed to be making a difference in the culture today? The greatest influence a Christian can have on the culture is to live out with integrity the values of the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking here about one thing, the influence on the world by Christians. So how do we do that? How do we influence our culture for Christ? We simply become the salt and the light. So I want to give you these four basic ideas that come from this passage that help us to see how that we can make a difference in our culture. First of all, the absolute necessity of Christian influence. We find as we look at the scripture that that God gives to us here in verse 13, the absolute necessity for every Christian to have influence. Now listen, Jesus doesn't simply say you are salt, or he doesn't simply say you are light, no. He says, listen, you are the salt, the light. Now, what is he saying? And why is that so important? Because here's what God is saying. 
If there is no other salt, if there is no other light in the world, Jesus is simply telling us that for all of the good that is in our culture today, there is no substitute for the real thing. There is no substitute for the Christian influence in the world. But yet, unfortunately, we have, we have negated our responsibility. We have backed away from the world. We have simply said we're going to hide out in the church and we're going to be our own little group. And, and if they want to come join us, fine, but we're not going to go make a difference out there. I think one of the things that COVID-19 has done to help the church is to kick us out of the church and say, you know what? You don't live here in the church. You live in your community. Be a light in your community. Be the salt in your community. If we're going to look for anything positive through all of the craziness in which we're living through right now, let it be that we're being told, get out of the church and get back into the streets. Get back into the communities. Be a difference in your community. The absolute necessity of Christian influence is not in the church, but is the church in the world. And therefore we must go. Not only are you God's means of influence to the culture, listen church, you are God's only means to influence the culture. In other words, this is our identity to the world. It is that we are to be salt. He doesn't say you will be salt or you might be salt or you can be salt. He says you are the salt. The pronouns here emphasize these verses that we should read them like this. You are the salt. You are the light. If you're a Christian, you simply means you. All right? God means you are to influence and you are to slow the decay and you are to light the darkness. You are to be that which the world so desperately needs. And by the way, the word you is plural. How many of you have ever been at a dinner or at a picnic or, and somebody says, pass the salt? So you open up the jar and you take one grain out and you hand it to them. There you go, I passed the salt. No? They say, well, that's not enough. That's not going to make a difference. You're exactly right. One of us cannot make enough of a difference. It is called upon the church to be the salt. All of us together are to be the light. All of us together are to be the salt that preserves. We are to come together as the body, and we are to make a difference for Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus uses the word you, which includes all of us. The second thing that we see from this text is that Jesus points out true, the true nature of Christian influence. When we look at this text, we find that Jesus is simply saying that we need to be the salt and we need to be the light and we need to uh, do stuff right. And if we don't, then things happen. The truth is contained in a metaphor. Jesus uses the metaphor of salt and light. So let's talk about salt for a minute. What is Jesus saying as he uses this metaphor? As I thought about the uses of salt and what this might mean, I thought, who better to help us to understand that than Morton Salt? I mean, you know, these guys are in the business. As a matter of fact, if you look up and you find that Morton Salt says that there are over 14,000 different uses 
for salt. And I want to take the time this morning to go over every one of those with you. No, not really. Actually, I want to save us a whole lot of time and tell you that in the ancient days when Jesus was teaching this, there were a lot of uses for salt back then as well. But I want us to look at two basic things that Jesus speaks of in this metaphor. He uses the idea here, just as Morton does, about selling their salt. He says there are some great things you can do with salt. I want us to look at two. Salt enhances flavor. How many of you would agree with me that a little dash of salt on something can really bring out the, the, the flavor? It, it just makes it taste better. We all like a little salt. Now, we all know that too much salt is not good for us. It's bad for our blood pressure. But if we want food to taste good, we've got we've to put a little salt on it. Just like today, salt has the use of enhancing flavor. And we know that's true. But unfortunately... Oftentimes when the world thinks about the church and about Christians, some might even say that we have a tendency of taking the, the taste out of life. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes we try to salt so much that we dump the whole stinking load on them all at once and, and it just makes the taste horrible. We need to be, be reminded today that salt is to enhance the flavor. It's not to destroy the flavor. It's not to overcome the flavor, but to enhance the flavor. The second truth that Jesus teaches us here is that salt preserves. The second use that we see out of this text, Jesus is saying something else, perhaps, as he's talking about this idea of salt. Not only was it used to enhance flavor, but in ancient days, salt was commonly used to preserve, especially to keep meat from going bad. They would rub meat, uh, salt into their fish and so that it would slow the decay of the fish so that as they dried them, they could then keep them for a longer period of time. So Jesus is basically saying that as Christians, our influence is to preserve the culture from going rapidly bad. Now let me put it like this. The world is kind of like meat. Meat that's going bad. And the influence that Christians can have upon it will keep it from getting worse faster. The idea is that we're to, to coat them with salt, so coat them with, with our influence so that the, the decay of life will slow down until the Spirit of God can change their heart. Now, let me talk about a guy that uh, many of you probably know, Mahatma Gandhi. He is still considered probably one of the most respected leaders of history. Not only for his life, but also for his ideas and his message to people. Although the Hindu Gandhi had a very close connection to Christianity, he admired Jesus very much, often quoting from this particular uh, area of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. However, when a missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones met with Gandhi, he asked him, Mr. Gandhi, I hear that you quote the words of Christ often. Why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming a follower of Christ? Gandhi, Gandhi replied, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ I don't want anything to do with Christ. 
If Christians would really live according to the teaching, he said, of Christ, as found in this Bible, all of India would be Christians today. You see, the reality is that we need to understand the importance of our influence in a culture. We're to be the salt that, that savors the flavor. We're to be the salt that preserves the, the culture from rotting too quickly. The third thing that we see is the dangerous neglect of Christian influence. My friends, I, I want you to hear me when I tell you that this is perhaps the most serious of all. In verse 13, Jesus slips this in here as a statement that we oftentimes just skim over. But Jesus makes a statement, if the salt has lost, now listen, here's a word in there that we oftentimes do not look, his savor. Now I want you to know that Jesus is not talking about this kind of salt, he's talking about this kind of salt. He says that if salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but is to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. The dangers with the, with the idea of hiding ourselves out from the things of the world is so dangerous because what happens is that we lose our saltiness. We use our, lose our influence. We lose our usefulness. You might not know this, but salt is probably one of the most stable elements in all of creation. So the question would come to be, how can something so stable lose its taste? Well, the same way you and I can. William Thompson tells about a merchant who rented several homes in which he wanted to store his salt. The merchant, however, forgot to cover the dirt floor in which he had put the salt in. A while later, as he came back to, to collect his salt, he found out that the, the, the salt had lost its flavor. All that he could do was take the salt out and throw it in the street for men to trample underfoot. Now, what happens here is that when we get too close to the things of the world, we get to looking too much like the world. And disciples become so much like the world that they can't tell the difference. We lose our influence. We lose our saltiness. This is the danger of lost influence. So let me ask you the question today, church, those of you that are here, those of you online. How's your influence? How's your salt? How salty are you in the lives of the people around you? You see, when we relax and when we compromise the standards that God has set in this word, when we begin to look more like the world than, than we look like the, the Lord, then the problem is that we have, we have allowed the neglect of our Christian influence. We are no longer salty. We are no longer the ability to be able to enhance flavor or stop decay. But let me just change it for a minute. Jesus then brings up the subject of light. And Jesus asked this about light. And he says, you are the light of the world. 
A city that is hid on a hill cannot be hid. Or a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. What Jesus is saying here is whether there is a whole lot of light, like a city on a hill, or just a little light like a candle, light influences the darkness. Whenever the light shines, the darkness is pushed back. When the light is on, it will influence the world. When the light is off, we have no influence in the world. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about a city on a hill that cannot be hid, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all that are in our house. You say, well, what is the light in which Jesus is talking about? Light simply is the knowledge of God. We are simply the reflections of His light. Jesus shines in us and through us. We are about the reflectors of who He is. As the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who commended the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light is the knowledge of the glory of God. That which you and I learn as we spend time in Him, it is the light that He is shining in us and through us that we are to reflect upon the world. And God's glory is His goodness revealed through us. So if we're letting our light shine, we're giving the world the knowledge of the goodness of God. The problem is, the danger is, when we neglect our Christian influence, there is a danger that is, that is given when we have lost or hidden away our influence in this world. And then what happens? Turn on your news and it'll tell you exactly what's happening. Our culture just gets much darker because they don't know God and His goodness, and that becomes much more corrupt because there is no preserving influence in the world. The fourth thing that we find from this text that Jesus wants us to understand, how can you make a difference in the world? How can you be the light and the salt that God has called us to be? We see the nature of the Christian influence. T.S. Eliot has said that this about culture. You don't build a tree, and culture is like a tree. It has to be grown. And its results are the byproduct of watering and nurturing and all that goes on with it. Now look at verse 16. Jesus comes back in verse 16 and says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here is where it really becomes practical for you and I. The practical side of being the light and the salt. We are to let our light so shine so that what they may see your good works. The word good here essentially means free from defects, beautiful. In other words, that we're doing the things of God. That we're doing the beautiful things of our Savior. We're not treating people like the world treats people. We're not calling them names and we're not, we're not uh, degrading them and we're not belittling them or, or we're not telling them that, that, that they got to do it our way. We're simply loving them in the way that God has loved us and the way that we are to love the world. We're allowing that beautiful life that Christ has put in us 
to shine through us. When they see, that they, they will see the glory of God. Again, David Wells says, I want the evangelical church to be the church again. I want it to embody a vibrant spirit. I want the church to be an, uh, an alternative to our postmodern culture, not a mere echo of it. I want the church that uh, is to be bold, to be different and unafraid, to be faithful, a church that reflects an uh, integral uh, and undiminished confidence in the power of God's word. A church that can find in the midst of our present cultural breakdown the opportunity to be God's people in a world that has abandoned God. And I read this story about Martin Luther. I'd never read this before. I thought this was pretty cool. The story of, one of the stories that is told of Martin Luther, the great Reformation leader, he was decided to climb up the, 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 the European cathedral tower up to the top and as he was climbing the steep dark stairs, feeling unsure because of the darkness and groping around for something to hold on to, he accidentally found and pulled down a rope that was hanging from a tower. And to his surprise, he heard a bell ring above him, waking up the whole countryside. The darkness is very often the darkest just before dawn. That's not a cliche, my friends. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the area of revival. The church, I'm afraid, needs to go backwards before we can ever go forwards. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean we need to go back to teaching the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through Him man is saved. It is through this word that lives are changed. It is through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems all sinful man. Until we go back, we'll never go forward. Until we go back to the simplicity of the word of God and become the salt and light that God has called us to be, we'll never experience the trueness of revival that God wants to show this decaying culture. So let me close. For those of you that are online and those of you that are, that are here today and those that are outside, I want to give you one last word for those of you that are in despair. For those of you that are overwhelmed by the culture and the cultural darkness in which we're living in today. I want you to understand there's not a lot that you and I can do individually on our own to change the cultural slide of this world. But I want to give you hope. There is absolutely something we can do when we become the salt and the light that Christ has called us to do. If we become what we have been destined to become, the salt, the light, as we serve our Lord and our Savior in the name of Jesus Christ, as we walk according to His principles and His scripture, the culture around us, I believe with all my heart, will begin to turn around, begin to change. The downslide of church will become the upslide of Christ. 
But what it begins with is you and I acknowledging that we must be the salt and we must be the light. As they see the light in us, they will see the great light giver. They will be attracted to our Savior, the same Savior that attracted you. They will be attracted to the same God who sent His Son to die on the cross that caused you and I to come to Him. God will get the credit. Jesus will receive the salvations and the world will begin to change. So my friends, don't despair. Don't give up. It is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. The world is dark for sure. Yes, it's getting darker. But I remind you the dawn is coming soon. It is time for you and I to light our lights, to shine them brightly, to become the salty saints and the bright lights that God has called us to become. Jesus is calling you. You. You here today, you out in the parking lot, and you at home. Make a difference. Be the salt and the life that the world so desperately needs. I challenge you, my friends. I encourage you. Let this word replace the unsaltiness of this life with the saltiness of Christ. And let the light of the love of Jesus Christ shine brightly through you. Let me pray with you and for you this morning. Father, for those that are at home, I pray that, Father, that you would cause them to bow before you. For those that are out in the car, that they would um, hear and, and just bow their heads and their hearts in the presence of the Lord. For those that are here in the room, that they would realize that there is an altar that is open for them. Lord, that they would bow their hearts and their heads before you, O Lord, and that you would receive the glory and the honor and the praise. Father, I pray for the church today. I pray that you would regain our saltiness, that you would reestablish our light, that you would magnify that which you have placed in us, that the world would see us as light. They would see Jesus shining through me as I go out into my community and live before others. Lord, may my saltiness preserve and enhance the flavor of the, the world around me. Lord, may my speech be that that would encourage and uplift and would cause others to want to hear about Christ. Lord, speak now to you, to your servants, I pray. Lord, cause the church once again to be what you have called us to be. Help us to make a difference in the culture and in the community that we live in today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.